Welcome to the Poteet Psychedelic Podcast. I am excited for you to be here. And uh, today we've been talking with Christian Dockstetter, who is the founder of True North Float in Utah. Uh, that's a center for floating, ice baths, saunas, massages, and much more good stuff. He's approaching healing from a very physical, but also deeply psychological perspective. Today we've been mainly talking about floating and the combination of floating and psychedelics, especially ketamine-assisted therapy. If you're not sure what floating is, floating or going into a float tank, that's a container or a room filled with salt water in which you can experience this state of weightlessness. So you lie suspended in a salt water solution which has the same temperature as the outside surface of your skin. But before we start this exciting podcast, there are other exciting news. We have just launched our newest product, the Mushroom Tea Ceremony Box. It's open for pre-orders now. And uh, why don't you just have a little look at it yourself? It's made to optimize your set and setting. And yeah, if you feel that this is something that could benefit your life or your personal set and setting, you can save yourself a discount of $100 if you sign up for our lovely newsletter at portiersupplies.com. Hey, Chris, when was actually the first time that you uh, got into a flow tank? And um, where was that? And how did you get into that? Yeah, great question. Um, this was probably in 2016. Um, I had a buddy dragging me along saying hey we got to try this thing i heard about it on a podcast and um i had no idea what i was getting into at all and i i went to this place in las vegas where i was living at the time called go float yourself <laughs> which is which is uh, kind of a funny they're not around anymore i don't know if it's because the names sucked but it was uh <laughs> it was a little place with some float pods and um i tried it out I was, I remember thinking that there were a couple of moments that I did find to be quite insightful um, and interesting, but it never, it didn't stick with me in a way where after that experience, I was just sold on floating and I was going to, you know, continue floating and get a membership and eventually open a business that, you know, offers flotation therapy to my community and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So that came later. Um, so I guess I can continue the story. Basically, I, I so I tried it out maybe two years go by, year and a half, two years go by. And then I find uh, the Joe Rogan experience, you know, sort of like start listening to Joe. And, um, you know, that was funny because my, my friend who brought me the first time, he had heard about it from Joe, but like I wasn't, you know, on that, that thread. And then... Uh, after listening to Rogan talk about it many more times, I was like, shit, there's, there's something here that I must've missed, you know? So, cause he's, and he always talks about, you know, in the past, at least when he, when he uh, was in the earlier episodes, he would always talk about, you know, edibles and float tanks. <laughs> and, um, I was like, shit, maybe I should give this another, another go. And I was also just learning about breath work at the time. So Basically, it's sort of a perfect storm where I was just starting to do breath work. Nevada had just legalized cannabis. 
and uh, and then I had found Joe Rogan. So it's like, okay, we'll we'll give this another burn. And I I went to a uh, float center that was by my new house. So this is a different one called True Rest, and I uh, went True in Rest. there. True Rest Float Spa. Yeah, they're kind of the franchisee uh, version in the float industry. They're the franchise that's kind of got the most locations. And I I went and um, popped an edible, took a cold shower, got in the tank, did about, I don't know, maybe 10 minutes, three or four rounds, five rounds of of Wim Hof uh, breath. Right before we went in. As I'm in the tank. So as like laying, in mm, yeah, it. yeah, like laying in the float tank. So as the edibles are coming on, I'm, I'm doing this breath work. And basically that was the float. That was the experience that, that changed everything for me and that um, made me realize that the float tank's kind of a portal that you can use to kind of go into the inner realm or in the inner landscape, uh, the inner frontier, the terra incognita, the unexplored frontier of the human mind and and our consciousness. And so, um, yeah, after that, I was, I was changed and, uh, got a float membership, got a yoga membership, which I hadn't practiced yoga at all. It just, that whole experience sort of gave me this new awareness from the inside out of my body and sort of what I, um, what I had been missing before, what I had forgotten, and and that's uh yeah that was in 2018 January 2018 so I've been I've been in it for about five years. What, what kind of membership was that? Like how regularly were you going? At um that yeah, time? I was going twice a month, um and I did that you know in yoga I was going you know three about three times a week, um and then I that only lasted so I was basically with within just six, a few months of doing that so started in January by July. I had purchased a one-way flight to Costa Rica, quit my job, and like I had a, I had I had this like sort of um, new wings uh, in some kind of way, and uh, so I, I kind of took a break from floating while I was traveling for a little for a little bit, um, and then I came back for about two months because I needed to have a surgery done. I I used to have a metal screw in my left hip, like mm. a long juicy three inch, four inch screw. And, um, that was put in when I was 12 years old. And it was actually that first float in January that I mentioned, uh, the, the, the one with the edibles that kind of gave me this epiphany, uh, where I realized like, holy shit, I have this metal screw in my body that's been in there for 12 years. And I think I need to get it out. Like, I don't think it's a good thing. And it was this kind of terrifying, anxiety-ridden sort of experience, right? Where it was like, oh, shit, what am I going to do? And then it was, so it was 10 months later in October. I'm down in Colombia uh, staring into the fire on, on Wachuma, which is, which is a cactus medicine. Um, mescaline is the psychedelic uh, molecule. And, um, you know, day seven of a 10 day retreat or something, right? Like done a bunch of ayahuasca and stuff. And I'm, I'm like the clearest and like whatever I've ever been. And I'm staring in the fire and all these downloads of just pure confidence of like, you were on the right path. You were exactly doing what you're supposed to be doing. And it just gave me this courage to like, okay, now it's time to go get this screw taken out. And I, I made that decision and it wasn't just about the screw either. It was also about this woman uh, who I'm still, I'm still madly in love with, um, named Lily, who we were, I had met her like right before I left on this. I already had my flight booked. I had put in my two weeks notice. I'm about to leave this job at this bar that I was working at. And she walks in like one day before my last shift. And so we connect right before I leave. 
and we stayed in contact while I'm traveling. And, and, and so this decision in the, with the fire and the medicine was just like, you need to go see Lily. You need to go get this screw taken out. So I went and spent two months in Vegas recovering from the surgery. And and that's I just tell that story because that's when I really got deeper into floating mm-hmm. as well. I was I got an unlimited membership. I was floating like three times a week because I was wow. rehabbing. I was rehabbing a significant invasive yeah. injury. Like I had that screw taken out and I needed I needed all that recovery, you know. So the recovery in terms of uh, mental rest uh, or physical rest. Um, it was you, actually you kind of a combination. Yeah. Yeah. So because sorry to cut you off. Hand in hand with each other, but yeah. Mm. Yeah. So basically, I would say uh, the physical was the like there was some physical trauma, right, and some some tension in my body that I had to release, right? Like the not just the surgery that put the screw in there, but the surgery getting it removed, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I needed I needed to just do some physical healing. But what's interesting is. Um, there was, it, it, this is going to sound trippy, but you know, if you read like, uh, Bessel van der Kolk's like body keeps the score, any of this new sort of science out there around sort of embodied, um, sort of emotions and how we, the body kind of holds the record. It keeps the score. It has sort of the signatures of past traumas and, and, and different things like that. And so the first time I floated after having gotten this screw removed, I had like a profound release of, uh, we're going to overshare here. <laughs> so oh, basically no, I was, I was, I was circumcised as a kid, as a baby. Huh. And, and I, I actually had the embodied trauma of that, of that oh, experience wow. release wow. after I got, it was the trippiest thing. Um, and it was, wow. it was heavy. So that like, even that stuff, like early, early days, you know, like that was, uh, you know, from, from, I don't know, 25 years prior, and that was coming out in the float tank. So, you know, I, I couldn't say it's just a physical healing process. It's definitely like a deeper level to it. Yeah, it's connected. Um, so there's two questions I immediately got. One is what happened in that first session uh, and what happened in this consecutive session? Could you take people through who've never floated before? You know what happens when you're uh, sober doing it uh, and perhaps also we could walk in versus you know on psychedelics and how those two intertwine yeah yeah there's a first there's a big caveat which is that um i can't say i used to i used to be a lot more uh i don't know what you call it maybe <laughs> reckless or play a little fast and loose with recommending you know people take substances mm-hmm. and get in float tanks and I can't, I can't say that as a general blanket recommendation, uh, for sure. I think that it's, first of all, uh, not going to be for everyone. Um, and uh, a couple other caveats, you know, like if you were going to do it, you better be damn comfortable both with the substance you're using and with the float tank separately before you try to bring those things together, you know, and, you know, all of the other all the other things like, you know, you're, you take full responsibility of your own state of consciousness, but I'm, I'm a believer that like we have sovereignty. It's like inherent to being a, a human. So, you know, if you don't have sovereignty over your state of consciousness, then, then, then you're, what freedoms do you really have? Right. So, uh, mm-hmm. I think that we should have the freedom to explore that, but, um, don't do stupid shit. Right. So, uh, but to your, to your point, so for me, um, I've had many, many, many floats sober that have been 
lovely. They've been amazing that have been relaxing, that have been insightful, that have been even profound. Uh, it's a different, so, so once you sort of, once I've sort of developed, I would say kind of like a pathway, which started out with being assisted by cannabis and, and breath work. So it was the combination of the, of, you know, about 10 milligrams of, of, of edibles with the Wim Hof breathing that I would do. And, and sort of what it would do is like, I would go through that kind of ramping up part of the float at the beginning with the breath work. And as the things are, cannabis is coming on. And then I would kind of find myself on this, in this different sort of consciousness or different sort of, um, way of awareness of, of, of experiencing from sort of a more embodied place, I would say. And, uh, it felt like being John, John Lilly used a term, which I really like. He, he calls it, uh, he says the center of the cyclone, which is sort of like the eye of the storm where you're kind of in this, in this place of equanimity where you're witnessing, you know, and you might see like the, the pain in your body and the, the trauma from your past, or you might, mm -hmm. whatever it is, you know, and, and not necessarily be that it, you know, just be that, but also just be witnessing that. And, and so I felt like the, the other thing that's really important about this bridge to this kind of other, this new pathway that was created for me was it, it felt like remembering, like it felt like the body has the sort of intuitive intelligence that sort of has this uh, self-correcting mechanism. It's kind of like an anti-fragile system, right? So as, as, as you stress it, as you, as it gets damaged, as it receives feedback from the environment, it updates, right? It corrects. It has this hormetic response. So we get stronger when we work out. And when we receive this sort of, you know, painful experiences or traumatic experiences, those have to be processed, but your body knows how to do that. And so I feel like the float tank's one of the best places to have that level of intimacy and vulnerability with yourself where, you know, it's the one place in the world. It's just you. You know what I mean? It's like a hundred percent. It's like anything you can go anywhere. Like there's no closet and fucking corner in your, like, you know, in your consciousness, that's off limits. Like you, you can give yourself permission to, uh, you know, pull out the junk drawer and, and like start letting things go. And so I feel like that's, that's sort of the pathway I figured out how to get there. Uh, initially with cannabis, but I don't think you need that. And and I don't even think it's the right tool for everybody. So um, it's, it's kind of complicated. It's not a simple black and white thing. Like you should just do this protocol and everyone should do this, um, which I used to think I was a little bit more naive earlier on. I used to think that that would just scale to anybody. Um, but, you know, and maybe there's some, you know, maybe it's like two parts protocol and, you know, so like, protocol float tank and then like one part grace like I don't I don't really know exactly why it worked for me but it has seemed to have a big impact on other people as well right yeah because you offer ketamine sessions as well right um at uh, true north yeah well we but work like, with uh, the but those are those are not while having the session right uh, the the float session those are two separate right. sessions right they're separate services. Use it more yeah, as like we, an uh, integrative uh, tool to digest the ketamine experience after. Yeah. So there's kind of two. Um, once again, I find myself conflicted, right? Because on the one hand, um, as a business owner, 
um, we're trying to create a sacred and intentional container for even ketamine, like which, which, which some people might say it's like, oh, it's not a plant medicine. It's from a lab, et cetera. I, I think any of these um, molecules that have the capacity for to help us, you know, experience catharsis and ecstasis, right? Like peak experiences, deep healing and connection. Um, and which ketamine certainly qualifies, uh, I believe, and, and in fact, might be the best one for Westerners. I think it, it's actually, it meets Westerners where they're at more than, say, mm -hmm. ayahuasca does, mm -hmm. right? It's like, hey, you've got, <clears throat> you know, you're getting a prescription from a doctor, right? So you're going through the channels of like the Western medicine man, right, versus the shaman. And it's also a lot, <clears throat> in my opinion, lighter of an experience. Like it doesn't have... Um, the level of, 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 I mean, done, done in a, in the right container, I find ketamine to be incredibly, uh, compared to say mushrooms or, or ayahuasca or something, I find it to be a, a, a way smoother ride. Um, if, if I can put it that way. And so we've tried to create an intentional container and a safe container for that experience so that people can have a, a therapeutic legal you know, kind of psychedelic experience. And we've sort of paired it with a breathwork protocol. And we have, it's kind of a one-on-one -on -one experience with a facilitator. Um, okay, so that's over here, right? <laughs> and then over here on this other side is like, okay, um, not as a business owner, but just as a psychonaut, uh, as somebody who's interested in, in exploring, um, I've definitely explored ketamine in the float tank. Um, and I can't sell that as a service due to liability issues, right? Um, even though technically we we could, and I'm I'm actually considering how to pioneer this. Mm, um, interesting. I think it could be done. I think it actually could be done in a way that's both safe, legal, and uh, really powerful and effective. Um, you need somebody to be inside uh, the. You might. Yeah. You might need somebody to be monitoring, but really you might be able to find a way to do that without uh, having a person in the room. So maybe if you had like a wristband or something that was monitoring your biometrics and you could check on somebody's, you know, um, heart rate and that kind of thing. And, and, you know, if they had an easy way to call for help or something, right, if they needed it. I don't know. It's a, I think it's worth exploring because I think that, I mean, if you think about John Lilly, the guy that invented the float tank, he was doing ketamine in the float tank, right? So, like, he he was, uh, really? I mean, you, you could argue he went a little too deep, but uh, <laughs> he, he's definitely, you know, there's been that kind of history of it from the beginning. And I think there's something there for sure. Um, it, but the question is, how do you make it safe? Uh, how do you make it intentional? And how do you create the right kind of integration so that people don't just keep, you know, hitting the pleasure buttons or going back yeah. to the wishing well, trying to just like get that, you know, next hit. Yeah. Yeah. That was, uh, I mean, I had my first flow tank experience about two weeks ago. And when I was in there, um, I felt like I was on ketamine. <laughs> it really felt like a ketamine experience to me. And I was like, after I was contemplating like how deep into relaxation could you potentially go with, with the help of ketamine inside a flow tank and yeah um yeah I'm also, I, I can I, answer i can answer that a little bit below the <laughs> void like to uh, 
new degrees. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm very curious about like what is a lot of people have experience with ketamine, some have with floating, but you know, both like how, how, yeah, what's the added bonus here? Yeah, um, so ketamine sort of for me, um, and it also is obviously we're talking about like dose dependent, right? Like the difference between a medicine and a poison or a toxin is dose, right? Mm -hmm. So we're, we don't want to like just say this applies to any dose. Um, for me, you know, taking like one to 200 to max 300 milligrams of, of oral ketamine, which is going to be way less bioavailable. So we're, we're, we're talking about, you know, like a liftoff dose, but not like a crazy disassociative, you know, type of experience mm -hmm. where, it, and, and once again, I can't even say that that's the case for everyone because everyone's physiology is different. But for me, that's the dose that I feel like I'm in the experience, but I'm not, I haven't lost total motor function of my body. I'm not in the K hole. I'm not completely gone. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. So uh, I, I feel it's totally safe. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't take anything uh, in a body of water where I felt like I wasn't in control. You see what I mean? Because the last thing you want to do is lose motor function while you're in water. That's uh that's a recipe for drowning. It's a bad do you, idea. Do you know of any accidents that happen? Some like, are you aware of yeah. any complications there are, that happen? There are some deaths that have happened in float tanks that were associated with drugs, uh, ketamine. But I don't think they were actually um, because somebody like went face down in the water and drowned. Um, from what I can understand, from what I read, uh, it sounds like... So there was two guys and I, both of them, it felt, it seemed like they were, the complication came because they mixed the wrong things. And so they, they, like they died, but they were face up, you know, in the float tank. They weren't, they weren't face down in the water. Uh, it wasn't the cause of death. Um, so yeah, it's, I don't think, uh, I, I mean, I think you should with anything, right? Like if you, if you have, uh, any modality, any tool, enough people are going to do it eventually you're going to end up with some deaths right yeah. but we're talking about a tiny 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 percentage i mean we're talking about like a couple people and uh, i think there was another old older lady who who might have like slipped and hit her head that was a sad tragedy so there's been like three accidents or maybe a handful of accidents um but yeah obviously i'm really cautious i'm not trying to be reckless about it and so even in talking about it, I, I, you know, I feel like on the one hand, I feel conflicted because it's like I want to I want to share, you know, as a psychonaut and sort of an explorer, I want to I want to talk about this uh, openly. And then on the other hand, it's like I, I don't want to recommend it as a blanket policy to people because I don't think that would be safe. Right. Yeah, 100%. we're also aligned on that. That's also our our thing. But we definitely break through that everybody knows, you know, general safety, our audience is quite smart and mature. Um, and they're heavy trippers, usually very advanced. Uh, but this is probably a combination that they haven't done yet. Um, yeah, we're not saying like they should do but I think people are very interested, like what what is it like? You know, have you ever done DMT yeah. in, a, in a full tank? <laughs> I have not no. Um, <laughs> see, that's that's one where I don't feel like the um, yeah, the if it would be the best pairing uh I, you know what i mean because it's it's like you want to be able to let go right and so you got to feel comfortable in the environment yeah. and um i i've just never really even had the i mean and i have access to dmt i just i just haven't had the um 
the desire to go in and to go in the tank with it. You know what I mean? I, and honestly, like I, I find generally that you don't need a lot. So like if, mm-hmm. if anyone's wondering, like, how do I like I want to explore this? What do I do? Start low start low, you know, like start with nothing, go float sober, make sure you floated and you understand that environment and that you're comfortable in the environment. Um, and, and honestly too, like, this is, this is a delicate one because you really need to be in the right kind of place. Like, so I, I went and literally built the right space for me, right? Like, like we, we opened a wellness business with really beautiful float rooms that I can go in when we're closed and I can have access to, a, a beautiful space and not have to worry about pissing off the staff because I'm in there for three hours. You know what I mean? Like I, I can, I can just make it the container suit what I need it to be. And um, so, yeah, there's, there's a, the more complicated dynamics when you're like just buying a float at a space. Right. Yeah. And then you're not supposed to be on anything and you are, and there's sort of like this tension there and this paranoia, like, you know, that kind of stuff. So it's not optimal. Um, so ideally, you know, you'd have a good relationship with say the float center owner or something like that. And you could, um, you know, have an honest conversation about what you're doing in a way that's like, uh, mm-hmm. more intentional and, and you just, you just create the right container for it. Right. That's, I think the container is really important, but you asked a question earlier, um, about, you know, what, what is that the reason to do that? What is it like putting those two things together? And ketamine as you probably already know like you've experienced it is a very voidy type of a molecule it feels like the float tank just allows you to just fall into it even more in that sense and so like one example of this would be like getting to this kind of center point of stillness where you know just the time in between breaths like when you're not breathing feels like a a vast expanse of Mm -hmm. like emptiness you know what i mean where you're just in like this total void of of everything like no thoughts nothing it's just void and there's something about that that's incredibly blissful just like the piece of that you know of of just and then i think we have like this kind of pathological fear of death and this fear of of not existing or no thing and when you experience that and it's blissful and you're like, wow, it's kind of empowering, you know, like if the lights go off and if everything stops, who's to say that's like a terrifying or a bad thing, you know? And what is that attributed to? Because in, in the easiest sense, you, your sensories are deprived. Um, but could you tell a little bit more about the cause and effect? Um, yeah. So you mean, you mean with the floating mechanism or with ketamine? Yeah. With the floating mechanism. Yeah. So I wouldn't call it sensory deprivation, actually. Um, I'm Mm. trying to rebrand that (laughs) as much as possible. Okay. Um, and I think that, you know, that's been, um, first voiced by, uh, what's his name? Michael, somebody who wrote the the book on floating and, Mm. The reason I wouldn't call it deprivation is because you you still have sensory awareness and it it's not like you lose your ability to sense you actually get more attuned. So if anything it's sensory attenuation where you where you actually feel, you know, deeper on a on a more embodied level. So if I'm not feeling if I'm not seeing the sun and hearing the feeling the wind and hearing all the cars then and I'm just in the float tank 
then what happens is my my awareness turns to my heartbeat my awareness turns to my breath my awareness turns to the electricity of my nervous system you know and maybe the energy level of like the 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 energy body right the subtle body and that's why that first float in january of 18 was so profound for me because i discovered my energy body for the first time i was like holy fuck there's an energy body i i mean i didn't even have a word for it i didn't know what it was and that's why i got the yoga practice was because when i started googling to find out what it was that was the closest explanation that i could find was this sort of chakra system the nadis or the energy meridians that run through the body you know and it's like holy shit these eastern philosophies are much older and they've kind of mapped this from the from you know from a long time ago and key and prana and these 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 words that describe the flow of life force through the body and this energetic sort of field and this energetic you know system and, um, yeah, discovering that without like having any context for it, it's kind of a wacky, trippy experience. It's, um, it's very psychedelic. And, and so, yeah, that was, uh, that was a, that was a paradigm shift for me for sure. And I would just say that the float tank is a great environment to light up the inner world. So if you think you're going to experience absolutely nothing, you're, you're in for a, a totally different experience because really it's a mirror that like everything you experience is coming from within you right other than maybe the the slight feeling of the water or if some salt dries on your chest or something like you might experience a little sensory from the float tank but most of what your experience is is internal and so mm -hmm. i think you just kind of tune into that more and it's not really a deprived or a, a deprivation experience how do you share that with wisdom with the people who come to uh, the true north float like do you have some sort of protocol how to you because obviously you want them to have like not just the average floating experience, but you want them to, yeah, help them develop. Yeah. Um, like what is the, do you have a certain kind of structure that or certain kind of conversations before you send people in there or yeah. How do you approach yeah. that? It's a good question. This is a, this is kind of the million dollar question too. It's, it's, it's hard, uh, harder than I thought it would be to bridge sort of I mean so first of all I'm opening up <laughs> so I'm from I'm from um a little town near St. George Utah so I grew up in a in a really small little bubble uh of a fundamentalist Mormon town and then I left when I was 20 and you know kind of came full circle traveled around the world uh came back to start True North Float and I, I chose St. George because it's kind of got, I've got roots there. You know, I've got, I'm from that area, but I didn't pick a progressive market. I, I picked the place I came from. So basically what we're, what we're doing is we're, we're, we're planting kind of a seed and, and some building some architecture that's when we opened is so far off of people's radar. Like it was nine out of 10 people. I got to explain what a float tank is um, or why you would cold plunge. Like nobody, nobody you know everyone's just like hey wait sorry what you know and especially like we're still trying to get ketamine going like get people to book it you see what i mean like um so we're 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 kind of um on the the, the edge of the frontier so that conversation of how do you get a first time floater to go from i have no idea what this is or what to expect to like wow this is really powerful tool that i want to keep using to benefit my life that is a trick and a challenge. Um, just getting people to want to try it in the first place is a challenge. So, um, you know, because you got to do a lot of education. So 
I don't, I don't think we've nailed that process of like, you know, ha having a super high percentage of people who come in for a first time experience and who walk away, you know, with a membership, like we're still trying to dial that in. Um, and I would also say it really depends a lot on like when someone's ready for it, you know, mm -hmm. like as soon as you're on that part of your journey in your life where you're ready for something different and you, you know, you're curious about like, what are the other possibilities and you want to get out of the say monotonous sort of cycles of just like work during the week and grind so that you can drink and watch football on the weekend. And then you can sort of like repeat the cycle and start over on Monday with your nicotine and your caffeine and do the whole thing over again. So like, if you want to kind of get off the hamster wheel, floating is an amazing way to interrupt that uh, and just put everything on pause and yeah. stop the, you know, get you out of the river, the torrent, the momentum of the, you know, the society and the culture and the ideological thinking and the politics and all the bullshit and just get away from all that noise and interrupt it. Uh, as you guys know, psychedelics do that as well. But this is floating is a great non-pharmacological intervention that can also be a little bit more sustainable, right? Like if I floated yeah. every week, I can get that reset regularly without necessarily having to um, ingest a molecule. Yeah, I can totally see that. How was it for you your first time, special? I mean, um, I was very tired that day, so... I arrived at the floating center and I, I really slept bad the night before. So I went in there like really tired. But for me, the great experience was just to like ease in with this tiredness. I don't know. I really had this like fantastic experience of just like accepting that I'm tired and letting go of like my ident identification with being tired. I don't know. That was sort of like one of my key realizations that I don't have to, you know, just every experience is great. And I just had my experience, like the physical experience of, yeah, what it feels like to be in this, in this tank. I experienced it so consciously that I just became friends with whatever I felt like. And I was seeing my mind, like, like really disconnected from my body as well. That was like another thing, which, which was really interesting. It was, it was really like, I really stepped into some observer role um, of of how my mind functions and yeah I kind of saw it from like really far away and yeah it just made me feel incredibly relaxed and content and mm. and accepting of of whatever is going on in this moment and like it happened so quickly I wasn't there for an hour and it, it just mm. I couldn't believe that the time was gone it was yeah fantastic experience how long do you usually send people? Like, what's like, is like an hour, like a standard? Uh, I, I'm glad you asked it? that. Um, we used to. So we started out with 60 minute floats, which yeah. so the sort of the different in the industry, you commonly you'll see either 60 or 90 or you'll see both. Right. Those are the sort of the it's either an hour, it's an hour and a half or it's some combination of both. Um, we started out with 60 minute floats. And after running those for a year, we you know, our number one feedback was kind of what you were just said about ending really quickly. And people like right as you start to get to this deeper state, you know, mm -hmm. you've kind of put out, you kind of let the weight go and you've sort of dropped in and then the float sort of comes to an end. And so we, we decided to 
um, take the advice of our friends at Float On in Portland and switch to 90 minutes floats, uh, which they run they run exclusively 90 minute floats. And at first, that seems like a big commitment and a big leap up, but I think it's important that we. I mean, because you can always get out early, right? Like if you feel satisfied and you're like, I had it in a great float and now I'm, I'm alert and I'm energized and I'm ready to get out of here and I get out at 60 minutes or I get out at 75 minutes or whatever, there's nothing wrong with that. And there's been a couple, there's been several floats where I've kind of decided to get out early. But when you're in that state and you want to stay in that state and you're you're going deeper and you're maybe unraveling something profound or you're having some insight or some inspiration and then the the lights that the, the the float ends and you know you're kind of pulled out of it that sucks so you know we wanted to give people uh, enough space to to go deeper and mm-hmm. we think that last 30 minutes that back that kind of back yeah. half of the float is really really where the magic happens so i would say changing to 90 minutes yeah and then, and then also really encouraging new people, first timers, to float three times at least. So we give people a three pack, uh, first time yeah. floater package of three floats, and we really encourage that they go the distance to float number three, and to the point where we're like, hey, if you float all three times and you're like, this sucks, I want my money back, we'll totally just give you your money back. Right. Nobody's going to say that if they float three times, you know what I mean? Because we, if you think about it, we come in with these like kind of caked, hardened exterior shells. Uh, you know, you, if you think about how much stimulation there is in the world, how much craziness is going on right now, you kind of have to develop some layer of like a, a thickness to it, like a thick skin. And so to go into the opposite of that experience where it's like, not only are you not blocking out the noise, but like now all of a sudden everything is sort of heightened, like your inner experience is heightened. And that can be, you know, if someone's dealing with a lot of anxiety, the idea of just going and being alone with themselves for 90 yeah. minutes sounds kind of terrifying. Yeah. So so what we did is we, and, and I recommend anybody who's looking into creating a float business, you definitely want to create an environment that's not scary, that's not intimidating. So you want to create either open style float rooms or big spacious float cabins. Like ours are six feet by eight feet by eight feet. So that they're, they're, they're chambers. Chamber that's, that's being closed, but just like a, a room that has like a... Yeah, exactly. You don't want a little pod. Pods are uh, claustrophobia inducing for some mm-hmm. people. I mean, and, and, and some float enthusiasts prefer the pods, which is which is fine. So if you want to have a combination of both or whatever. Yeah. But, you know, we found that, like, number one is, like, you want to show people this is not a scary place. You can have control of the lights. We even have underwater headphones that people can listen to tracks, guided meditations, breath work. Right. And that, and that kind of helps people ease into their float journey and go through that kind of initial learning curve where they're dealing with how to be in this inner space that might have a bunch of unresolved, you know, stress and emotion and, and anxiety. And you kind of have to process it. And, and especially when you're processing like real trauma, it can be intense. And so you want to give people like the right space and the container that they feel safe to go through all that, you know? What's so long as you've ever been in a, in a flow tank? <laughs> um, probably five or six hours wow uh, I, 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 but honestly honestly okay. i don't i don't i've only done that once and for me like three hours 
is seems to be kind of the the sweet spot if I want to go for a long float. Like, so I won't I won't float longer than ninety minutes if I'm sober. Like, if I'm sober, ninety minutes is perfect. Um, if I'm doing a visionary float, <laughs> is sort of what I call them. Um, with a visionary float, I'll you know I'll go three hours and then sometimes longer. Oh, one second, the camera is uh, is off, so. I think it's because of the call yeah. again. Sometimes we have to restart uh, after somebody calls me on. <laughs> That's so. No wild. worries. Um, wow, three yeah, three, three hours, hours seems like an incredible time to be in a float tank. I can only imagine like where you go. So visionary, you mean like on some sort of substances? Yeah. So typically, um, <laughs> yeah. Like I said, start. I would start low, but. Um, you don't need a lot, like even just a half a gram, yeah, to a gram of psilocybin, uh, or of of of, of psilocybin mushrooms, not just pure psilocybin. That would be that would be crazy, um, but but like it, just a gram or, or or you know half a gram, it's enough to really like enhance the experience and take you in on and for me at least. And I'm I'm pretty sensitive to mushrooms, but it takes me into a a visionary sort of journey. But I'm not so blasted that, you know, I can't, you know, handle myself. I'm, I'm in total control. Yeah. Right. So you can I, I really like the idea of of um, using the float tank as a place to sort of enhance those lower dose journeys. Mm -hmm. And then if I'm going to go into a high dose journey, like a heroic dose, I want to be outside of the float tank. I want to yeah. be, you know, I'm going to be on, on, on my bed with a blindfold or something like that. And just you know, after the session. Perhaps. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think doing a, a bunch like a, a high, high dose of of psychedelics in the tanks a great idea unless you're gonna be like supervised or something like that. You know, I found it to be very visual already. Just sober, I, I felt I had a lot of visuals already, um, like open eye visuals. Yeah. After just one hour, I started to see like blue jellyfishes, and yeah, I don't know, it was kind of cool. visual already. Have you guys ever uh, explored the combination of, of cannabis and ketamine? Yeah. <laughs> I truly enjoy that, <laughs> to be honest. You, yeah. You that, I guess. I have not. No, no not really. So, so I, I agree. I, I find that to be some of the, my favorite, uh, most insightful um, and, and most inspiring sessions that uh, I've experienced with um, any visionary molecules. That combination feels like it just goes together, like almost like a puzzle piece fitting together, yeah. and and that in the float tank uh, is incredibly uh, profound. So that's that's um, I would say my sort of go to sort of protocol, visionary protocol, and it, it would start it would start with first creating the intentional container, and and you know. Everyone's going to have to do this in their own way and what feels good to you and what you have available to you. For me, I have a float center available to me, so it's easy for me to go in on a day we're closed and, and the space is locked up and I can, you know, light my incense and I can, you know, create the whole ceremonial intentional container and, and journal and, and, and use the tarot and do whatever else I want to do to set myself up for a good experience. And then I'll, um, I'll take about 10 milligrams of, of oral cannabis. Uh, and then about 30 minutes later, so I use that 30 minutes to create my sort of my setup and my intentional, my intentions going in. 
And then about 30 minutes after taking the cannabis, I'll take the oral ketamine lozenges, uh, which, you know, um, I would recommend you have a prescription. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't do any of this stuff illegally. Uh, you, what's crazy is you can do all of this legally. Like you can take, you can take legal cannabis, legal ketamine. In the States. Uh, and there's, in this, it, yeah, depending on where you are. And if you have a prescription for it, yeah, you totally can. Um, which I totally recommend you do it through the proper channels and you make sure it's, you know, it's all kosher and safe. And w- yeah. once again, don't do it like all this at once. Like experience, experience the stuff out of the float tank first and experience the float tank many times first before you, you know, blend things together. But um, that's kind of the protocols as I'm, I'm, as I'm kind of getting into the float. I've, I've taken the cannabis 30 minutes ago. I take the oral ketamine as I go into the float tank and I, and I go in for three hours and that's to me where I get some access to some really profound kind of novel information, which has, if you can integrate it, and this is the trick, like ketamine's tricksy and, you know, you see people kind of fall into these, uh, I mean, with any psychedelics too, it can be, it can be tricky where people fall into sort of delusions of grandeur and even mania. If you, if you keep going back, keep going back. And so I think, Jamie Wheel, um, I don't know if he's on your guys' radar, but what he's doing with uh, Flow Genome Project, and he wrote a book called uh, Recapture the Rapture. He's he's a really uh, got some good wisdom with this, and um, he has this practice called hedonic calendaring, where you kind of calendar in and schedule in your peak states for say the year. So it's like I can kind of create the rhythm and the cadence that makes sense. And it's sort of like a liberating structure. It gives me it gives me the ability to say, okay, I can kind of get lost in my life and and just focus on, you know, my 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 job, my relationships, my day to day, like just get fully into my life, knowing that like on the solstice, I'm gonna have this peak experience, maybe at a festival or maybe a visionary experience in a float tank or whatever my calendar thing is, right? That's gonna pull me back into this remembering of like what I'm the bigger picture and like what I'm here to do. And, you know, you can set these up on like a lunar cycle or whatever, whatever rhythm sort of feels, feels right. But for me, I, I found that like, I need that structure because it's tempting to want to just go back to the wishing well, especially when you own a float center. Right. And it's like, Oh, I can go, I'm going to do ketamine floats as much as I want. Right. And it's like, I, I have to create that structure for myself. So for me, I'm, I'm looking at it right now more as like a quarterly practice, something like that, where it's, it's like a solstice equinox type reset Mm. that gives me a, a wider lens perspective on, on my reality. But then you have like a like an ongoing breathwork uh, practice or yeah yeah. So you so the whole idea with hedonic calendaring is you take sort of the lower effort, lower risk, but also kind of lower reward uh, practices, and those go into daily or weekly practices, right? Um, so that would be your breathwork, your cold plunging, your yoga, you know, all of the all of those good things that feel like they should be done pretty often, right? And then you can take kind of higher effort, higher risk, or more expensive or whatever it is, right? And you can kind of start to sprinkle those in either like on a Sabbath practice, like a Sunday or a, a monthly practice, like a lunar cycle, maybe ceremony. Um, see, floating, depending on your budget, floating seems to land somewhere between the weekly to monthly phase. Some people 
you know, like I've definitely been in that phase where I floated every week. And sometimes it's just like people want to float once a month or that's what they can afford. So, you know, that kind of seems to be the cadence for floating for me. But then, you know, you go into like your, your psychedelics and your festivals and your travel, your international travel, your bigger experiences, your bucket list items. And those are going to land somewhere between like the quarterly uh, or the annual. Right. So just the higher risk, higher reward, higher effort. Those are gonna those are gonna be less frequent, and you kind of just calendar those in on the bigger the bigger mm. things, right? So it's kind of a spectrum. Fantastic. Gosh, I wish I had my own full tank at home. <laughs> I mean, if I would, <laughs> I would probably use it way too often. But uh, yeah, it would be great. But yeah, it's probably pretty hard to build a thing like this for yourself or to to buy it. It's probably quite pricier to. It's a it's a technical environment. It's really quite difficult to do it right. Um, even float businesses where th it's their job, it's their business to create a float experience. A lot of them don't do it perfectly. You know, like you'll be in the float tank and you'll be hearing the gym next door because you can't mm -hmm. soundproof out the weights dropping or yeah. whatever, right? Like there's there's a lot of technical hard problems to solve when you're when you're building a space like that. So I would say if I was looking for, I mean, unless I have the resources aren't an issue and you can have someone come in and build you a really nice float environment it's probably going to run you like 40 or 50 grand to really build a nice one because you need to soundproof it you need to light proof it salt proof it you want to have a big float tank you don't want to have a small little pod so for me like our float rooms are about 40 50 grand each um you could probably go a little cheaper you know than that but i like nice things <laughs> so so that's that's the problem with floating that the other thing I would just throw out there, I know this is, you know, a podcast for psychedelics, but I, I would say cold plunging yeah. is arguably going to give you more bang for your buck if you had a cold plunge that you had access to. So if I was looking to put something at my house, uh, I would get a cold plunge because I can do that every day and that's going to like massively level up my life. Um and, you know, way, way lower barrier to entry. You know, you can get a cold plunge for a couple grand and just, you know, set it up. Or or you even just a get a tub and, and buy ice. Do you have a cold plunge for how much? 100 bucks, 50 bucks, but you have to buy uh, ice, right? Especially where you are yeah. in the Arizona. You got to go to the grocery store and get ice every day? or No, I mean, you, you have like the cold plunges that you just plug in and they just keep the... Oh, like, really? Like, yeah, I mean, you can also just like transform it like a fridge into a, into a cold plunge, right? So. Yeah, I'd be careful with that one because... Um, if you're refitting a freezer, a chest freezer to be a cold plunge, don't do stupid shit. Don't get electrocuted uh, yeah. because they're not designed to be full of water, right? They're designed to chill food. So you got to be careful, you know, just be smart. Um, and But yeah, that's the cheaper way to go is a lot of people do that with chest freezers. So I'm sure you could find a, a good guide for that on the internet and, and be safe about it. Um, but I think the lower end cold plunges on the market and probably between two, three grand, uh, and they'll filter, they'll chill it, they'll do all that. You know, you can get all the way up, you know, to 10, 15 grand for a cold plunge, depending on how nice you want to go. Yeah, the filtering is the, that's probably also like with, with the flow tanks, so that takes probably quite an advanced system to keep it all um, clean and fresh. Yeah, especially in a commercial, a commercial context, you know, where yeah. you got bodies going through it a lot. You got to have the really nice high-end equipment. If you're just using it for personal use, you, uh, a cheaper setup probably would be okay. So what, what, what kind of like salts are you using or what kind of 
magnesium. We use uh, medical or, or there, right? yeah, we use food grade um, Epsom salt. So salt, it's yeah. just a uh, magnesium sulfate. Yeah. Mm. Uh, I'm still a little bit curious because we talk about the practicalities and the safety and everything, but uh, we heard about your first experience, but obviously you've had a couple hundred float float sessions under your belt, if not over a thousand. Uh, a couple thousand, maybe. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I would say it's probably under a thousand, but definitely hundreds. Okay. Yeah. So, um, is there any anecdotes? Like, do you have any? Uh, you step in the tank, you prep with uh, either uh, medicine or or without. Um, are there any experience that really stick out other than the the physical one where you had to take out the bolt or where where people enter this deep relaxation from society? Is there anything else that really sticks out for you? For sure. Um, I mean, I could go all day on, on anecdotes of, of powerful float insights or downloads um, that I've come out with, including coming out and writing poetry, you know, just it, it, it just depends, right? Like, uh, I guess I'll just try to think of like a relevant one. So uh, more, more recently where I've been at with it, right? Um, right now I'm in the process. So True North for me, uh, started out in a float tank in 2018. Uh, the idea came in as like, oh, well, you know, I'm a kid that just lost his sort of tribe and community and whole sort of founding or, or foundational philosophy on life because I grew up in a Mormon cult, like a fundamentalist little community. And so leaving that, I was sort of starting over. And then, you know, coming into the workplace and capitalism and sort of America, just chasing money for five years and, and doing that whole thing and partying a lot in Vegas. And that's where I lived, like realizing that that's not really the meaningful life that I'm trying to live. And so I'm really just like at this phase in my life looking for answers. Right. And so I get this idea in the float tank. I, I need to find true north. Like I need to I need to. Uh, go on a journey or to try to reorient myself and and sort of discover where to go from here and so i i used that metaphor of true north and started a blog and you know took off to south america like i said started traveling and started exploring these different uh modalities of wellness and healing and practices and and medicines and then circling back to utah to build the wellness center and that's when true north project sort of evolved into a podcast versus the blog because I found that was a little more natural medium for me um, and it allowed me to connect with others uh, like this which I really enjoy and so now that podcast has given me sort it's sort of gone on its own journey and it's sort of evolved more right it started out just primarily being around wellness stuff because that's what I was into that's what I was focusing on but now it's really expanded a lot more than that and so to bring this back to your question my floats recently have been a lot more zoomed out, uh, thinking about more the uh, general fate of humanity and the coordination failure that Allen Ginsberg calls Moloch. It's like the it's like the multipolar trap. It's the race to the bottom. It's the tragedy of the commons, right? It's the arms race. It's the reason that we have nuclear proliferation and tension between you know Russia and the West and whatnot. And so, like, I'll have a, flo a, a, a ketamine float where I experience the nuclear winter that's coming if we fuck this up, 
You see what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. actually feeling that reality of like, you know, the interdimensional possibility space of like, holy shit, we really could take this off the rails and, and destroy life on this planet and feeling the cry from our ancestors and our future descendants, you know, begging us to, to figure this one out and to, to get, to not, to not drop the ball on this one, you know? So like, that's a powerful, almost like sacred responsibility that we're holding. Right. And, and to, to feel that viscerally in a float vision where like you've seen ancestors coming to you, like, no, will you, will you take this responsibility on, right? Like, will you consciously do something about this? Right. Then you come out of that float. You're like, fuck, I was just trying to like start a wellness business. (laughs) And now I'm like, now I'm thinking about like, you know, you know, Moloch and nuclear proliferation and, and the tragedy of the commons and all this kind of stuff. And AI is just ratcheting that up even more. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's sort of shifted my whole trajectory. And I'm, I'm interested in trying to figure out how to solve this coordination failure so that we can make effective collective choices and, and start sort of orient towards uh, a more protopian and beautiful world that, you know, we can kind of all collectively imagine and manifest together. So that's sort of one example of how floating recently has has shifted my perspective and my trajectory. But, you know, it can be as I don't want to make it sound like it needs to be this grandiose thing, because even if you get the insight that you need to go talk to your mom or you need to, you know, like spend more time with your partner or you need to spend more time at the gym, like no matter you're going to get what you need. You know what I mean? It doesn't need to look a certain way, but it's just most likely going to be what you need. Wow. Where do you see the future of um, true north? Um, in a world that's, yeah, like you already touched upon us, continuously being more emerged into the powers of AI and virtual reality. Um, what role will, will your wellness center, or I don't know if you're planning to build other wellness centers or what role will that play in the lives of people in like a yeah, future that's going to be completely different from what we have right now? Yeah, that's the million dollar question, right? Like, what do you even build given that, you know, how uncertain, um, you know, what we're going into this next chapter of the Anthropocene, you know, with like the machine world that's being born and all of that. Um, And this is a really hard design problem, right? Like, really, I think it's important to map the problem space as effectively as possible and do some sense making as what do we actually need, you know, um, wh- wh- what should we build collectively? And and so for me, like I've pointed to it already, but to me, the sort of meta problem that translates to everywhere, and that if we could solve this problem would then allow us to solve all the other wicked problems that we face, including climate change and all of our inequality and sort of these other tragedies of the commons. Like the, the problem that we're, that we need to solve, I think first is how do you do effective, you know, group coordination? How do we get to a place where kind of like how we had when we were at the Dunbar level of hunter-gatherer society, you had coherence at the level of the tribe, right? At the level of the, you know, and, and back then it was limited by who you can actually know relationally. Like I can only know so many people. So that was sort of the hard limit on how big a tribe can get. And as soon as it gets beyond who I can know, then we break into multiple groups. But we got to this new game where it's like, now we're doing global shit, right? Like 
there's a global globalization and an interconnected world and, uh, you know, global economic, political, social, everything. And, you know, the Internet and AI and all the rest. So how do we figure out how to coordinate in this space? Because it's actually critical. And if we don't coordinate, we don't figure this out, then, you know, it's a, it's we're on a race to the bottom currently. Well, that's that's the that's the kind of hard pill to swallow. And so I'm I'm trying to figure out with True North how to actually put this into practice with a actual like test case, like an actual use case and an example. So my goal is to, yes, continue expanding what I would call transformational wellness architecture, where you can kind of create the, the eudaimonia center or the, 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 the physical spaces where humans can come in where they're at and, and it'll meet them where they're at with their trauma, with their you know, distractedness and their anxiety and everything else, so their disconnection, their suicidal ideation, the, all the rest of the shit that we're dealing with and, and meet those people and help them, uh, orient in a new way. In other words, help them find their true north and go on a healing journey and a self-discovery journey and a transformational journey that ultimately culminates in them becoming a live player. Somebody who's consciously engaged with their reality as the self-authoring creator of it instead of as a victim who's responding to the sort of circumstances that they were started in. And so you know, live players playing an infinite game, as James Kars would say, not the finite game of I win at the cost of you losing, but the infinite game of like, the point is to play. And let's bring people into the playing of a better game. So that's kind of the jam with the architecture that we're trying to build. And on the level of the social level of this architecture, I, I'm trying to create a bridge where we go from like me as a business owner to us as a collective, right? Uh, a, a cooperative collective of sovereign creatives, right? That's sort of the that's sort of the vision, and so there's a lot of of, of um, kind of exploring and sense making and problem solving to do to make that happen in a way that doesn't you know go off the rails or turn into some sort of culty cold or something like that, you know. So mm. there's there's some there's some you know uh, treacherous terrain I think that we got to figure out how to navigate. But the goal would be to have you know these collectives that we can sort of create a blueprint where we can go start this wellness architecture and create these collectives and start localizing the, 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 the initiative, localizing the wave of transformation. And, and so it's built around your community. It's not some ephemeral, you know, internet thing. It's like, no, you go into your community wellness center and you, you know, you reconnect with other human beings. Yeah. Yeah. That's a very powerful goal. And it's, 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 for me, it's kind of magical because you, you guys reached out out of out of the blue for us. You know, we're just a company based in Amsterdam. Suddenly, you get an, an email from uh, people in in the desert in the, in the Nevada. Um, but it, Utah. It, it's cool. <laughs> Sorry, Utah. It's uh, it, it's so cool to see. Um, you know, for us, it's also like we're just building a box or boxes and 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 these kits. Um, but it's about empowerment, right? And and about having people. For us, it's not necessarily healing, but um, I, th I think it's a beautiful thing that it starts with a floating center or it starts with a box, but we're working on, on bigger things, and that's how we have some kind of shared commitment or shared passion. I think it's, it's really incredible that somehow already this uh, this community is kind of connecting then, you know, from the desert of, of Utah to here in Amsterdam. Uh, yeah, I, I really see your mission uh, thrive already. Um what I do see is though, like sometimes I with my psychedelics I see people 
go very far and deep into uh, the cosmos and they kind of let go of the reality. Uh, is that something that you fear as well with floating? Yeah. So I kind of pointed to this before when I was saying like the hedonic calendaring, right? And not, not just, you know, being in this loop of always trying to hit the pleasure buttons or the novelty buttons and, and, and always going back to the wishing well, right? Where, you know, I'll just, I'll just go, you know, consult the Galactic Federation or something, right? Like I end up in this sort of like uh, loop or this rabbit hole where I, I fall down into where my real, I don't, I'm not part of shared reality anymore. You know what I mean? Like I lose my grounding in shared reality. And, and then that can kind of lead to really narcissistic or kind of mania type behavior where, you know, you're, you're the one who has like the yeah. secret sauce for the world. And, you know, you're kind of in this tier all by yourself. So you got to be really cautious. And, and, and I think as this psychedelic renaissance is un, unraveling, we got to be really conscious about how we create the cultural container for these molecules. Because, you know, if you look at like the Eleusinian mysteries and these sort of mystery traditions of the past, these were very sacred containers where it was actually like punishable by death to take the cookie on outside of the, the tradition. You know what I mean? Like it was, it was revered and protected and it was like high consequence to, to go messing around. So, um, I think, you know, we got to figure that one out. And, and I would say, yes, 100%, I would be concerned about people um, using the float tank as their escape from reality. Uh, I think it's important that we, ha we have these sort of, we punctuate our lives with these periods of introspection and, and yin and relaxation and, and presence, right? Um, but not get lost in like the sauce where where hey i i i, I want to just keep going back to either the float tank or uh my meditation practice my cushion or you know uh, psychedelics or whatever to kind of escape from my reality i want to use it in a way that empowers me to actually create my reality in the way that you know that i that i desire and i think on that note, there's a there's a sort of project we got to do, which is the decriminalization of desire, because I think we live in a world where it's like, you know, the idea of desire is kind of, you know, I, I grew up very religious, so it's kind of like a, a, a swear word in a way. And if you if you and I've I've done this, you know, luckily I found floating because it's helped me tune into um, my more authentic self, which is to then help me clarify what I desire, you know, and if you, mm. if you fill into what you, what is it you actually want, right? Do you want to just go and like hit all the pleasure buttons and be a lizard, a lizard brain fuck monkey, <laughs> as Jamie will would say, right? Like, I think we go through maybe a phase where it's like, you know, we're in our early twenties and we're, we're crushing beer bongs and we're doing the thing. And it's like, yeah, maybe that, maybe that lasts for a little while. But ultimately, that's not, you know, I don't think what anyone really desires as a permanent state. And so being able to clarify your desire and, and not be in shame about having desire, but actually using desire as the sort of cosmic creative force of life, like the, the erotic sort of sexual energy of the universe that's driving and animating life. And, you know, it's the reason that, you know, we do anything. So like, you might as well do what you fully desire. And I think as you listen to desire, and as you clarify that, 
you actually begin to get closer and closer to the the actual unique thing that only you can do, which would be ikigai. That would be like where where you know you're here to fulfill it for the collective and for life, and no one else can do it because no one else is you. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. Yeah, that's powerful, and I hope people get closer to that. Uh, you know, using their prana or their life force for beautiful things, because that's initially what we all, all want, right? Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful, guys. Well, I feel right. like uh, I feel like uh, that's a good spot to wrap it. Yeah. I I guess so too. That was a wonderful com conversation, and um, yeah, I feel a lot a lot more enlightened on floating. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening, guys. If you enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe. And if you are curious about a new mushroom ceremony box, head to portiersupplies.com and save yourself a sweet little discount. Much love.